This Advent season, we've been going through the Gospel of, of John and looking at the teachings there, and we turn there now this morning. If you would take your bulletin to pages 8 and 9, you'll see the sermon outline. And the text it comes from, first, from John chapter 1, the first chapter of John, beginning in verse 35. The next day, John was there with, his, with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what, Jesus, what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which then is translated Peter. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, you have come down. We thank you for that. You have not passed us by, but you have visited us, and you have given your life. The cost was very great, and our indifference has also been very great. This morning, draw us near to yourself, we pray. Open our hearts and minds to your spirit. And come and fill us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. When there's a crisis in the family of one kind or another, one wonders what to do. Someone you know, perhaps, has lost a loved one. Or there's one in the hospital who's not well. Or someone that you know is in jail or in prison and is visited. And one wonders as one goes, what should I say? What is it that I can contribute? I feel so much at a loss. Chaplains and those who regularly carry on ministry in hospitals and jails and nursing homes have the same answer that they've learned over the years. Just go. It doesn't, they won't remember what you said. They'll remember that you were there. 
that you visited them, that your, your very presence was a ministry. In that way, we are Christ-like in the sense of bringing our presence into the life of someone else. And as we saw last week, one of the chief works that Jesus accomplished in coming to earth and in his incarnation was to dwell among us. We heard earlier the quotation from Isaiah, the people crying out, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Well, he has. He has come. He sent the angels, but he also sent his son. He came in person. He was there. He stopped and dwelt among us for a while. And when he left, he sent his spirit to be our comforter and our presence throughout all ages. This is one of the great significances of John's teaching here in the Gospel according to John. As I say in the outline, Matthew and Luke tell us the facts of Christmas, but John is reaching for the meaning of Christmas especially. Last week we saw how it is tied to the events of the life of Moses through his dwelling among us, or tabernacling is the word that John uses, and this week we'll see it eventually here in a few moments connected to the life of Jacob. The heavens have been opened for those who have been humbled. Herod heard of it, but was moved only to jealousy. But Mary and Joseph had him enter their lives and change them forever. Though the whole human race, as I say, was banished from the kingdom of God after the fall, the gate of heaven is now open to us, so that we are fellow citizens with other believers and companions of the angels, and the angels are appointed to descend and return from the heavenly glory to relieve our distresses. So in the last verse of this passage, he added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the opening of heaven. This is the entrance which the prophets had promised, which the Messiah was to be. He was not just to proclaim a message, although that was part of it, and he was not just to accomplish a work, although that was part of it. He came to be with his people. And so he lived among them, not remotely, not far away, but in their midst for those three years. And went with them day by day about various duties and circumstances and experiences. We can't miss the importance of this. God became man. And while we can't quite grasp that, we can understand that he came uninvited and he came to be with us. Us, who like Jacob, were scoundrels, schemers, selfish and foolish. Clearly this last verse of John chapter 1 is a reference to the ladder of Jacob, the gateway, the stairway that he saw on the run from his brother long before. In Genesis 28, we pick up the story where Jacob is on the run and his sins have caught up with him. He has no home, but he has this dream that is in effect a vision of the angels descending to heaven and ascending to earth, this giant stairway 
And when he sees it, he's awestruck. He was afraid of Esau. He was afraid of his circumstances before, but now he finds himself awestruck in the presence of the living God. And Jacob, even Jacob, is humbled before the Lord. He's really not sorry. He doesn't come in repentance. He comes because he has been overwhelmingly impressed by the intrusion of the Lord himself, by his angels, giving him a vision that there will be a day when the heavens will be opened and even he will be redeemed. And even he will be included and he will, even he will be a part of what God desires to do. He has come and become flesh now. Now Nathaniel in our story today in John 1 calls his friend Philip and says, Heaven has been opened. Come and meet this man who knows so much about me that I haven't even told him. Nathaniel's unimpressed, or Philip is unimpressed, saying, Can anything good come from Nazareth? But John says, Yes, something good has come from Nazareth. And if we look here in the note, in the various uh, descriptions of Jesus in chapter 1, we will see how great he is. But just a moment to see that the heavens have been opened. A new and living way has been offered and provided. And we now have a provision of redemption that we did not have except in a promise form before. There are a few passages in the scripture where we read of the heavens being opened, but not many. In Luke 24, we read, while he was blessing them in the upper room, he left them and was taken up into heaven. In Acts 1.9, we read, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. The ascension. And Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Access has been granted. On the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw Jesus and Moses and Elijah speaking with one another. The heavens have come down. This is significant for all that will come to follow. And it is an, a startling statement because it follows on the words of Isaiah, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that you would send someone to be with us, that the Messiah would break through into our world. And he has. And sprinkled throughout the first chapter of John is a, an amazing description of who has come. Notice one in verse one. I see the list here for you. The Logos. The Logos. In the beginning was the Word. Not just a Word. This, it was, he was the Word. He was God. Verse four says he was the light of men. Verse nine, the true light. Verse 14 and 18, the only begotten of the Father. Verse 15 and 30, a greater one than John the Baptist. 
He is the Lord, verse 23. He is the Lamb of God, verse 29 and 36. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit, verse 33. He is the Son of God, verse 34 and 49. He is a great rabbi, verse 38 and 49. He is Messiah, verse 41. The one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets as well, verse 45. He is the King of Israel, verse 49. And he is the Son of Man, verse 51. All of these either clearly or implicitly comparative to anything else he is superior he is the greatest he is the one we have looked for he is the heavenly celebrity that no one else has seen and he has come greater than Moses greater than Elijah greater than Jacob greater than any of those who have gone before this one has been delivered to us All others are but a faint comparison. He is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He is the Messiah. So the heavens have been opened, and the Great One has come. He didn't send a lieutenant. He didn't send just an angel except in an annunciation form. He came Himself, the one and the only Son, the one and the only Messiah, the one and only one who had been promised and predicted. He has come. And He has loved us. In coming, secondly, He has accomplished something. Now, last week we saw that just living with us is helpful, and and the presence of the Lord by His Spirit is, is very good and very useful. But more than that has been given as we turn now to Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews verses 10, chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Here we get the introduction of a new concept now, that not only has he broken through to come into our world by his Son, by the Son of God, by the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, by the Messiah. But that Son has opened a way for us to go. This is what Jacob saw. He saw the angels of God ascending and descending, going up and down. And so, in verse 51, Jesus refers by saying, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open." And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's the latter. He's the one who has come down and on whom the angels make their way down and back up. He is the means of access for us to go to heaven. He has made heaven a two-way street. He came himself, opening the way, as as is introduced in chapter 10 of Hebrews. But then he opens a way so that we may go, so that even Jacob may go back to heaven. And he says, we have confidence now. And we need this. 
We need confidence. We need the boldness that's referred to also in Hebrews 4. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence or with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's Hebrews 4.16. We can be sure. Be sure that a way has been opened upon which we can ascend. It's wonderful to visit someone in the hospital or when there's been a loss in the family due to death or some other tragedy and difficulty or visiting in prison. But one of the reasons we hold back is not just because we don't know what to say. We, we feel like we can't do anything about it. We can't bring back the loved one. We can't make the one who is sick well. We can't get the person who is in jail to be set free. Our hands are tied. But on the contrary, in this instance, Jesus has given us confidence because of his work to open a way by which the lame may be healed, the blind may see, and those who are in death may be brought to life. This ladder, this causeway, this stairway between earth and heaven is Jesus himself, and it's a two-way street. That's the astonishing thing. It's a two-way street. It's not just him visiting us. That would be great. And it is great to know that we have his presence and his interest with us by his spirit. And in the days of his flesh, when he walked upon the earth, he came in person. That was terrific. But it doesn't solve our problem. It doesn't get us set free. It's nice to have someone there in the hospital, but what about getting well? Nice to have someone visit us in prison, but how about getting out and being set free? This he has done. Ephesians 3, verse 12. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. That's three verses. Hebrews 4, 16, Hebrews 10, 19, and 20, and Ephesians 3, 12, which speak of a confidence that his presence has brought that we didn't have before. So that we may have boldness and, and access that is actionable. We have something, something's changed. We're no longer sick. We're no longer imprisoned. We're no longer dead. Something has changed. Something materially has altered our circumstances. And it takes us back, of course, to the tabernacle from last week and Moses and the construction of this tent that they picked up and moved. And wherever they moved, when the pillar of fire or pillar of cloud moved, it was in, their, in the midst of them. They were surrounding it. The 12 tribes positioned around it and they moved together. And it was in the center of their lives and their worship. But when Jesus died in Mark 15, 38, it says the curtain of that temple, the temple separating the Holy of Holies, the curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the tabernacle. And in that instance, in the case of the, the temple having been built, that curtain was ripped apart. And the access to that room, which was possible only by one person on one day of the year, was now open to all. The curtain is torn. The tabernacle has been changed forever, for the Holy of Holies has been made accessible. 
I can get there. This doesn't mean so much sometimes to us, and it's to our shame. I'm sure Joe, uh, Jacob wasn't thinking about it. He was thinking about his present circumstances. I want to get a wife. I want to avoid Esau because he's mad enough to kill me. And I want to get my life sort of together. He wasn't looking for a vision, a dream. He wasn't seeking God. He was laying down to sleep because he was on the run and no one could provide him protection. He was a wanted man. He wasn't repentant. He wasn't sorry for his sins. And God broke through and woke him in the night and showed him this vision and said, there's going to be an access, a causeway, a stairway between heaven and earth and angels will be able to descend and ascend upon it. And that ladder will be the Son of Man. All of a sudden, Jacob's response is humility, and he worshiped. He called the place Bethel, the house of God is here. And I have met with him. I wasn't seeking him at all. I was seeking to save my neck. I didn't even have thought enough. It seems he didn't have thought enough even to pray. He was so nervous and concerned about getting away from those who pursued him. But God broke through. He woke him with his dream. And now we have the son coming and saying, that was me. I was there. That, that ladder, that causeway, that was me, the son of man. And I've come to do a work, to open a new and living way, as we read, because it breaks the old system. He's the first to go that way, but he won't be the last, because you will be offered to go there as well. Jesus has opened a new way that we can follow, and that way is himself, through the curtain that is his body. We now have full entrance into the holy place. Well, so what? I've got other things to worry about. No. This is the most significant thing for today that you could know. Because if this is true, then today is transformed. If you trust him and, 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 and rest in his work here, then today is transformed from a burden into a joy. From turmoil into peace from darkness into hope. If this is true and we have boldness and confidence to come into his presence, then all of our problems take in a new light because the way open for us is so transformative that it lifts us. It may not change our circumstances. We may find ourselves in two weeks struggling with the same problems we have today. But this was meant to make a difference. Do you see this? And do you believe it? This is what Christmas means. This is what the Advent is all about. The coming of Christ was to open a way so that at one point in life, for all eternity, you may become his friends 
and have access to him forevermore. It's a startling and astonishing thing that he's accomplished. It is what Moses and Jacob and the others longed for on their good days. They wanted to see it, and now that it has come. But it is for those who are humbled. As I say, when he came, it was not as a general, but as a carpenter. It was not as a member of a prominent family, but into a poor home that had been disgraced by the circumstances of his birth. Born in a feeding trough, not in a resort hotel, and born to people who had stones for pillows. So now, we have the work done, and we have the accomplishment of his purposes brought to fruition. What next? Well, take your Bibles. I'm going to grab one, too. I didn't bring it up with me. Hebrews chapter 10. What does this mean, then? If this is for me, my faith and my trust, if this is my future and my hope, then what is my response? Chapter 10, verse 22. Well, verse 21. Since we have a great high priest now over the house of God, over Bethel, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Let us, this is another expression of confidence. This is meant to make a difference, to give us confidence. We have been adopted into his family. We have our, our, our status has changed from slave to free to a son, really, brought into his family. So we now have confidence to climb up on his lap and say, Father, Daddy, this is me. And this is what I want to tell you. Verse 22. Let us draw near to God. Let us go to him. As we said last week, let us respond to his coming to us by going to him, by seeking him out actively. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Now, this is an Old Testament image of, you know, the, the, cleanse, the sprinkling of the altar, of the blood, to cleanse and purify the sins of the people. It's an image that's taken up also in baptism. It's a purification thing. Our hearts have been purified, sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, which is a prison all its own, past mistakes, lost opportunities, broken relationships, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us enter into this, this holding thing where... He is faithful to us, and we hold on to him. It's a two-way street. He comes to us, we go to him. He grasps us and brings him to himself, and we hang on to him. We cling to him, literally, from our hearts. And let us consider, verse 24 then, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's think about this. How can I make you better? How can you make me better? 
Let's think about this. Let's start with those closest to us. How can I make my children, my wife, my parents better? Not by scolding them, not by berating them, not by tearing them down, but what can I do? How can I spur them on toward love and good deeds? And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. There it is. The presence of the comforter to comfort us, as Paul says in Corinthians, is given in such a way so that we may comfort each other. Let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So let us reach out and up to one another and sustain and help, encourage, spur on. However, verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received this knowledge of the truth, then no sacrifice for sins is left. Then it's wasted on us. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. For anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That is, they were stoned. If they, were, if they broke the law of Moses on the testimony of two or three witnesses, they were stoned. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as unholy, as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the grace of God is for those who have been humbled. But if Jacob won't humble himself, God will humble him. And if I won't humble myself, God will humble me. And if you won't humble yourself, he will humble you. He will act. Something will happen that will get right at what your idol is, right at what you most value, right at what most distracts you from the grace of God. Why? Because he loves you. Because he doesn't want you lost and confused and distorted by sinful desires and actions. He comes after us like an attentive parent and says, stop it. Come to me. And if we won't stop it, then he'll make us stop it. Jacob was forced to listen. He wasn't, as I said before, seeking repentance. He wasn't sorry for his sins. He was seeking to save his neck. And still God broke through and said, you need a Messiah. And so amazing was it that even Jacob stopped and listened. Christmas is that amazing. For this is what the exalted and high one says, Isaiah 57. He who lives forever and whose name is holy. He says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. He lives in heaven, but he also lives in the heart of those who seek him. Who are sorry for their sins. So if you're amazed by the awesomeness of God, then you should know he will come to you and be your friend. And if you are thinking that he will excuse anything you do, then you need to see the awesomeness of God and humble yourself before him. For heaven has been opened, but it's been opened 
for the benefit of the humble, the meek, the lowly. The Bible doesn't say blessed are the self-righteous. Blessed are the high and mighty. It says blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who seek and find me there. So, this is the story. And it is a story that has yet one more aspect, not included in the sermon outline today. And that's this. He didn't just come to earth to take us to heaven. He did that. And as Hebrews says, by his blood, he opened a new and living way for us. But he also, the Bible says, will bring heaven back to earth one day. The book of Revelation is clear about this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, as Revelation 21, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. So there's yet one more dynamic in this story. The story of God breaking through to our existence by the angels and by the presence of his son, the Messiah. And then him opening a new and living way for us to go one day into heaven with him when we die or when he comes back to earth. But the third dynamic is that he is coming back to earth. And God's dwelling place will be not in heaven forevermore, but it will be now among the people. And the ancient choruses of the covenant will be made true where he said, I will be their God and they will be my people, not from a distance, but I will dwell with them. I sent the ark of the covenant. I sent the tabernacle. I sent the temple. I sent the Davidic royal line to let them know that I was interested in dwelling with them wherever they would go before the coming of the Messiah. Then I sent my son, the only begotten of the Father, the perfect and holy Lamb of God, as John says in our passage, and the one who would come and open a new and living way back, but that's not the end. The end is that the day is coming when he will come back and the earth itself will be reunited and there'll be a new heavens and new earth and God will dwell there. The earth as we know it will be burned up, but there will be a new heavens and new earth. And so the earth that we have today is is important and it's a valuable picture of a future that we're going to share. Revelation 21.3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. So insofar as we sense the presence of God in our lives, it's only a foretaste, not just of heaven, but of an eternity when he comes and dwells in the midst of his people, face to face, one on one, one on millions. What a glorious future we have. Open for us on Jacob's ladder, made possible for us by the sending of his son. 
and giving us not just access to heaven, but an eternity with him in which he dwells with us. Even in heaven, he will not abandon us and say, all right, go ahead and play among yourselves. He will be right in the middle of it because he loves you and he wants to be with you. He doesn't need you. He is self-existent, self-contained, self-satisfied in every way. But he wants you. So don't put him off. Embrace him now and say thank you for that depth of commitment to me. A scoundrel like Jacob. A schemer. A self-serving person like Jacob. And God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I identify with him, the schemer and the scoundrel, and I sent my son to redeem him. So he also cares for you now and for all eternity. Let us pray. Well, we've missed so much of this, Lord. We've been too busy. We've been preoccupied, self-concerned. And the glories of your coming have been, to some extent, diminished by our self-centeredness. But John has helped us to see, and so has Isaiah and Moses, that something great has really happened here that will have relevance now and forever. Come and dwell in our hearts, we pray. Open the hearts of any who this day have come and, and have not yet trusted Christ as their Savior, that they may have him come in and dwell with them and feel the, the warmth of his presence, the power of his comforting spirit. And for the rest of us, help us to take Hebrews 10, verses 22 and following, seriously. Let us be done with sin. Let us see how we can spur one another on toward love and good works. Let us come to you daily with confidence and boldness. And let us have our hearts sprinkled clean and our consciences pure from seeking to live holy lives and grasping after our Savior who has grasped for us. O oh Lord, we thank you for the depth of your love and the eternity of it. We can't escape it. Help us to dive into it and appreciate it and rejoice in it and benefit from it. May we not cheapen it by restricting it in our lives, but may we rather embrace the one who has first embraced us. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.